1: go episode 536 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Monday, March twenty seventh, two 2023, and the final four in the 2023 NCAA tournament is set. A four seed in UConn, two five seeds in Miami and San Diego State, and a nine seed in Florida Atlantic. First final four ever without a one seed, a two seed, or a a 3 seed seeding in NCAA tournaments has never meant less and the stock of former George Mason head coach and current Miami head coach Jim Larenega has never been higher. How about this guy? March 26, 2006, Jim Larenega head coached George Mason made the final four. March 26, 2023, Jim Larenega head coached Miami made The final four. He now is 73. He was Mason's head coach for 14 seasons. This is his 12th season as Miami's head coach, and he now has made a final four with each school. Hello and welcome to this Monday installment of the Al Goldie podcast. We late night on Sunday night had commander's news as the NFL's annual league meeting has begun. The owners meetings have begun. The Biltmore in Phoenix, Arizona, is the site. Uh, Day one was Sunday, and we on Sunday night had a report from the Washington Post that our commander's co-owner and co-CEO, Dan Snyder, is being a naughty boy once again. No, no, Danny boy, no, no. Uh, He thus far has declined to be interviewed by Mary Jo White as she conducts her investigation into Dan and the team, tisk tisk, Danny boy. Uh, that's not how this is supposed to go. You're supposed to cooperate with Mary Jo. Uh, next segment, I'll react to that and take you through all that you need to know about the sale of the Commanders and the Dan Snyder saga as the league meeting has gotten going. Uh, what to look out for, what to be thinking, the very latest reports. There is a lot to sort through, and where the heck we actually are in the sale of the Commanders. If you are confused, you are not alone. And I will explain uh, why exactly there is so much confusion. A deep dive on all that is going on is coming up next segment. Uh, also on the show, I will be discussing our Wizards with you. Uh, two games for the Wiz over the weekend as uh, their fade continues. Uh, Friday night, a 136-124 win over the San Antonio Spurs, the Capital One Arena. But Sunday evening, a 114 114- 104 loss at the Toronto Raptors as the Wizards lost for the eighth time in 10 games and 10th time in 13 games, and the loss clinched. The Wizards having a losing regular season record for a fifth consecutive season. And we had some uh, controversy, question mark with the Wiz over the weekend. Their television announcer, Chris Miller of NBC Sports Washington. And I like Chris, he's a nice guy, good guy. Uh, he, during the Wizards post game show this past Friday night, spoke out strongly against the Wizards being better off losing. Uh, I have some things to say about that. Uh, I have a capital segment for you. They, on Saturday night, suffered another blow to their fading postseason hopes of 4-3 loss at the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, this as Match TV of Russia on Saturday reported that Senator Evgeny Kuznetsov, via his agent, has requested to be traded. Uh, And the request per the report is not new. As Kuznetsov has previously asked to be traded. Uh, we have a lot to get into with the caps. And I will be talking Nationals and Orioles. You know, opening day for the 2023 MLB regular season is this Thursday. Uh, both the Nats and the O's have named their opening day starters. Each starter is a guy who, for the 2022 regular season, had an ERA over five. What up with dad? Uh, I have some thoughts on the Nats going with Patrick Corbin and the O's going with Kyle Gibson. And more. Uh, a few things before we get to some feedback. Uh, we have another free agent defection for the Commanders, unrestricted free agent guard Wes Martin. Uh, he's reportedly signing with the Cleveland Browns. So uh, Wes Martin has spent three of his four NFL seasons with Washington, 2019, 2020, and 2022. He spent the 2021 season with the New York Giants. The Redskins took Wes Martin in the fourth round of the 2019 NFL draft. Out of Indiana, Wes Morton and running back Bryce Love, they were the two players who the skins ultimately got. For the free agent affection of quarterback Kirk Cousins to the Minnesota Vikings as an unrestricted free agent in March 2018, the Skins in the 2019 draft traded their third-round compensatory pick that was acquired for Kirk. They traded the pick to the Buffalo Bills for the Bills' two fourth-round picks and used those picks on Stanford running back Bryce Love and Indiana guard Wes Morton. Uh, Not exactly fair compensation for old Kirky, no matter what you think of Kirk. Uh, And then the commanders last August 24th claimed Martin off waivers from the Jacksonville Jaguars. Also, college basketball off Kim English leaving his job as George Mason head coach to become Providence head coach. Is Mike Rhodes about to leave his job as VCU head coach to become Penn State head coach? Rhodes was meeting with Penn State on Sunday uh, that according to college basketball insider Jeff Goodman of Stadium you can tweet me at algaldi you can email me the algaldi podcast at yahoo.com lots of nice tweets uh, regarding my conversation on Friday show episode 535 with longtime Washington DC area sports writer Rick Snyder about the sale of the Commanders tweet from Bill I really enjoyed listening to all-timer Rick Snyder on the show I was delighted to find out how well informed and well Connected, He seems to be about Commander Scuttlebutt. Lots of good info. Uh, Thank you for that, Bill. Glad you enjoyed uh, my chat with Rick. Uh, Tweet from Crab Cakes and Football. Yes, Crab Cakes and Football. That's what Maryland does. (laughs) Uh, Writes Crab Cakes and Football. That was a fun episode. Rick's a great guest. Uh, Thank you for that tweet. Yeah, I had a lot of fun talking with Rick. Uh, Email from Rich Polin on Dan Snyder's ownership tenure of the Commander's franchise, hopefully, finally coming to an end. When exactly, we do not know, but hopefully, finally, we are in the process of his ownership tenure of the team coming to an end. Writes Rich, in the waning days of Dan Snyder's ownership, it really blows your mind how completely he has eviscerated the fan base. It is almost unprecedented how he has undermined one of the most passionate and loyal fan bases in all of sports, leaving only diehard lifers like me and thee. It would be equivalent to this. Some Richie Rich buys the Coca-Cola brand, something that everyone likes. First, he says that he loves Coke and has always loved Coke, but starts spending lavishly, changing the formula against the advice of Coke's drink guys. Then he fires the drink experts and replaces them with flunkies from Radio Shack and Photomat. (laughs) Then he adds strange ingredients to the recipe like licorice and fennel while raising the price, alienating loyal. Coke drinkers. Then as the business is failing, he charges the dwindling remaining Coke drinkers fees for entering a 7-Eleven for the privilege to purchase Coke. Finally, he simply waters down the Coke, but keeps raising the price. And Coke goes from the number one cola to the number 32 cola just behind Shasta. (laughs) And he pays himself $5 million to have a Coke logo on his private jet. That just sounds made up, but apparently it's not. I do think that there are many like us who still have a passion for this franchise in pride in what it once represented and hopefully will again shortly. Thank you for all you do. You make the mornings of so many people brighter and cheers to episode 500 and counting. Well, thank you very much for that, Rich. You know, I wonder with Dan Snyder, do you think that he ever engages in self-reflection and... Has regrets and says to himself, Geez, why and how have I done such a bad job as owner of this team? I mean, Dan (laughs) does not strike me as the uh, self reflecting, introspective type, but you know, he is 58. What tends to happen as you get older, and if you have kids, your kids get older, is that you become more reflective. And you look back on your life and you assess the things that have gone well and the things that have not gone so well. And if Dan has any intellect and or any capability of self-awareness, you gotta think that at some point over these last few years, with everything that has gone on with him and his team, that he, at least with himself, has had the conversation of what happened? How did we get here? How and why have I done such a bad job (laughs) as owner of this team? But, you know, maybe that right there is the problem. He has never had that conversation or had these thoughts. The Dan Snyder playbook has been to blame others, not himself. You know, it's somebody else's fault, not his. And of course, that does help to explain why we are where we are. Well, if where you are is having suffered harm due to the negligence of someone else, know that the law firm of Paulson and Nace is there for you. If you have a case, you should contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace, it is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C., In West Virginia, call 202 902 7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Polson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Polson and Nace treats its clients with respect and dignity. And once what is best for the firm's clients, Polson and Nace will treat you, your family, and your situation with the care and expertise that you deserve. Uh, Polson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Polson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. Heck, this past July, Polson and Nace won a case for which the United States government must pay nearly $1.8 million. Polson and Nace took on the U.S. government at one. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wrong, if you think that you've been wrong but aren't sure, call Polson and Nace and schedule a no obligation appointment. Call 202 902 one one. That's 2029027611 And when you call, tell Polson and Nace that Al Gold You can also visit PolsonandNace.com. That's PolsonandNace.com. And don't forget to tell Polson and Nace that Al Galdi sent Polson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Polson and Nace take care of your family. Well, I also enjoy my Shady Ray sunglasses. Uh, Yeah, I have a pair and I love them. And I want you to have a pair. In fact, I want you to have two pairs. Because if you use the promo code ALGALDI, you get 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses at ShadyRays.com. Yes, I said 50%. Shady Ray sunglasses, uh, they look good, they feel good. Shady Rays, it is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's affordable and durable with clear optics for whatever you're doing outside. And Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements, meaning that if you lose or break your pair of sunglasses, even on day one, Shady Rays will send you a brand new pair of sunglasses, no questions asked. Wear your Shady Rays with confidence because Shady Rays has your back long after your purchase. Here's a special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Go to ShadyRays.com and use the code ALGALDI for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Yeah, 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. If you don't love them, you can exchange them for sunglasses that you do love, or you can return your sunglasses for a full refund Within 30 days, there's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Shady Rays always has your back. Go to ShadyRays.com and use the code ALGALDI for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. If you have been thinking about getting new sunglasses, now is the time. And Shady Rays is the way. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. That's shadyrays.com and use the code AlGaldi for 50% off. Two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Also, Shady Rays has done some great work, has donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger with Beating America. Shady Rays, look good and feel good.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: All right, so the NFL's annual league meeting has begun, is taking place at the Biltmore in Phoenix, Arizona. Started on Sunday, will last through Wednesday. Uh, The belief is that Dan Snyder is not at the NFL's annual league meeting and will not be attending the meeting. Uh, This is not surprising, but this is notable. I mean, it seems to me that if Dan wasn't selling the commanders and was going to fight to keep his team He would show up at this event. Uh, The expected representatives for the commanders at the meeting are the team's other co-owner and co-CEO Tanya Snyder, team president Jason Wright, head coach Rod Rivera, and general manager Martin Mayhew. The biggest item from the annual league meeting regarding the commanders so far is the Washington Post in a report that came out late night, Sunday night, saying that Dan Snyder thus far has declined to be interviewed by Mary Joe White as she conducts her investigation into Dan and the team. Now we perhaps truly know why this Mary Joe White investigation, which was announced in February 2022, is taking so long. The Mary Jo White investigation is supposed to be an investigation into two things uh, the allegations of former team employee Tiffany Johnston against Dan and Washington's financial scandal. Although, whether White can take her investigation into other areas, should the investigation take her into other areas, is possible. Uh, the most central figure in the investigation, of course, <laughs> is Dan. And yet, according to his favorite newspaper, The Washington Post, he so far has declined to be interviewed by Mary Jo White. And not that this should surprise anyone, but how about this? I read to you a statement from the commanders from February 18th, 2022. On the Mary Jo White investigation, quote, the commanders have always been intent on having a full and fair investigation of this matter conducted and to releasing the results of that investigation. Given the team's confidence in Miss White's ability to conduct such a full and fair investigation, the commanders will not separately pursue an investigation and will cooperate fully with Miss White. White, end quote. Yes, cooperate fully. Does cooperating fully include the owner of the team agreeing to be interviewed by the investigator? You tend to think so, right? (laughs) Yeah. Cooperate fully. Yeah, maybe not. Uh, Dan Snyder seemingly at every turn in all of the scandals and investigations into him and his team has not cooperated and, in fact, has worked against the investigations. And now we, per The Washington Post, have another instance of this. The sale of the commanders, per multiple reports, is not on the agenda for the NFL's annual league meeting. But that does not mean that the sale of the commanders will not be discussed at the meeting. That does not mean that Dan Snyder will not be discussed at the meeting. Uh, the NFL's annual league meeting has these things called uh, privileged uh, sessions. Uh, privileged uh, sessions are league meeting sessions at which only actual NFL owners and the highest of league office executives usually are allowed to attend. Privileged sessions can be free-flowing unhinged, no-holds-barred sessions because owners at these sessions feel especially free to speak freely. It was in October 2021 at the NFL's Fall League meeting in New York City that Tanya Snyder at a privileged session reportedly and famously sounded off to other NFL owners about Washington's workplace misconduct scandal. Uh, Per NFL insider Albert Breer of the MMQB, Tanya at that privileged session, said that she and Dan had been extorted and that they did not leak the infamous emails of Bruce Allen from his time as a Redskins executive. Uh, her remarks were called, quote, tone deaf, end quote, by one person in the room. And all of this did happen during a privileged session during the NFL's fall league meeting In October 2021, uh, this was a privileged session that featured NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell and other NFL owners uh, tweeted Albert Breer on Sunday morning, quote, There is still no sign of the commander's sale on the agenda for this week's annual meeting in Phoenix. Presumably, the owners will talk about it in privileged sessions on Monday, 4 p.m., and Tuesday, 3.30 p.m., but there's no vote End quote. Uh, I'm assuming that those times that Breer gave are Phoenix times, not Washington, D.C. times. But whatever the case, we at this annual league meeting have privileged sessions on Monday and Tuesday. So we will see if anything regarding the sale of the commanders, if anything regarding Dan Snyder is leaked from those sessions. But word on the sale of the commanders at the meeting and word on Dan Snyder at the meeting aren't just limited to the privileged sessions. It is at this annual league meeting that we have reporters like everywhere seeking comments from NFL owners and executives and coaches about all kinds of things. Remember what went down with Indianapolis Colts owner and CEO Jim Irsay, uh, he, this past October 18th, at the NFL Fall League meeting in Manhattan, New York, became the first NFL owner to publicly question whether Dan Snyder should remain as an owner of the Commanders. Ursay said this to a group of reporters. Might Jim Ursay, at some point this week, pop off on Dan again? Uh, What about another NFL owner who loves to talk to the media? Dallas Cowboys owner, president, and general manager Jerry Jones. What might Jarrah be willing to say to reporters this week? Uh, Jerry, in a piece by NFL columnist Jarrett Bell of USA Today Sports that came out this past June 13th, distanced himself from Dan Snyder, said Jerry regarding sticking up for Dan, quote, is he worth me taking a sword? He's not Al Davis for me. He's not, end quote. So a lot of possibilities with what could be leaked and outright said about the sale of the commanders and about Dan Snyder during this annual league meeting. We also at the meeting have what are known as the coaches breakfasts. Uh, There is an NFC coaches breakfast and an AFC coaches breakfast. Uh, Each NFL head coach uh, answers questions from reporters. So the way that this usually works is the AFC coaches breakfast is on Monday and the NFC coaches breakfast is on Tuesday. So we should be getting a good bit from Rod Rivera in the coming days. But what we almost certainly will not be getting at this NFL annual league meeting is a vote On the sale of the commanders. And I want to get into the sale right now. So, Fox Sports NFL insider Jay Glazer on Fox NFL Sunday, all the way back. On November 6th, reported that the hope was to have the sale of the commanders finalized by this annual league meeting in March. And if you caught my conversation on episode 532 of the podcast uh, with sports business insider Eben Novi Williams of Sportico, he said that he thought that we at this league meeting could get an actual vote. From NFL owners to approve new ownership of the commanders. Well, barring something completely shocking, uh, that vote will not be happening at this meeting because a sale of the commanders still has not been agreed to, at least not publicly. Uh, ESPN commanders insider John Keim, uh, he on Sunday night tweeted, quote, multiple sources familiar with the commander's sale expressed skepticism that an announcement will be made regarding a new owner at the NFL's league meetings, end quote. It now was two Saturday nights ago, March 18th, that we had all kinds of rumors flying around, especially on Twitter, uh, of the sale of the Commanders having been agreed on. Commanders insider J.P. Finley of NBC Sports Washington, he on Saturday night, March 18th, really got things going by tweeting, quote, Commander, Sale News was in red zone and now first and goal, end quote. Uh, Longtime Washington, D.C. area sports writer Rick Snyder, who I just had on the podcast on Friday's show, episode 535, he on Saturday night, March 18th, tweeted, quote, let me just say this for now. Multiple sources say a deal has been made. Just can't say 100 percent who it's with and not guessing after 45 years in biz. I'm not going out that way end quote. But here we are nine days later and there still is no agreement for the purchase of the commanders that has been announced or even reported. In fact, the recent reporting has been in contrast to what was out there on that bonkers night of March 18th. The Washington Post in a piece that came out this past Friday night, quote, the NFL and other owners are in the dark, about the prospective buyers of the commanders because the lines of communication are completely down with Snyder, someone with knowledge of the owner's views, said Friday. And quote, the piece also said that, quote, the owners are waiting to see what occurs over the coming weeks and possibly months with Snyder's attempt to sell the franchise, his efforts to secure indemnification against legal liability, and the outcome of the league's second investigation into him and the team, said those people who spoke on the condition of anonymity because of the sensitivity of the topic. The owners expect to take no formal actions regarding a possible commander's sale or Snyder's status during the league's three-day annual meeting, which begins Sunday in Phoenix, those people said. One of those people said the meeting is expected to be uneventful as it pertains to Snyder and the commander's sale, and added that the owners are not going to move toward voting him out right now. This has to play out over some time. We have to see what happens. End quote. Okay, well, none of that right there screams that a sale of the commanders is imminent, as seemed to be the case just nine days ago. So what's going on here? Well, all of this is yet another example of the reporting on this saga, that is the sale of the commanders being all over the place. The reporting on the sale of the commanders has been confusing and conflicting and changing, and perhaps even irresponsible at times. And I think that all of this has to do with three factors. Uh, A, the principal parties involved in the sale of the commanders, the current owners of the team, and the potential and actual bidders on the team are all immensely wealthy and notoriously guarded. So most, if not all, of the people reporting on the sale of the commanders are getting intel secondhand. And in many instances, the secondhand intel will come with an agenda and thus may not be entirely accurate. Uh, B, the sale of an NFL team is complicated enough. The sale of this NFL team, given everything going on with it, is especially complicated. And so there isn't an exact path or timeline or formula that you can follow in terms of, well, first this, then that, then that, etc. Like, no, this entire thing has seemed almost random at times, especially, by the way, the stages of the bidding, which still have not been clearly detailed by anyone reporting on the sale. And that may well be because there is no clear detail about the stages of the bidding on the Commander's uh, C. The sale of the commanders is a massive story, one of the biggest stories in Washington, D.C. sports history. And so I do think that in some instances we are getting people putting stuff out there because they are so wanting to break news in this ordeal and are willing to risk being wrong in order to be first. You know, you've heard the phrase ready, aim, fire. Well, with the reporting on the sale of the commanders, we at times may well have had (laughs) ready fire aim, you know? Uh, I, over the last few weeks, have spoken with a number of people, both on and off the air, about the sale of the Commanders. Uh, Here are three things that I feel comfortable saying to you. Uh, Number one, the prevailing belief remains that Dan Snyder is selling majority ownership of the team. The dream is, in fact, happening. Number two, the favorite to buy the Commanders is Philadelphia 76ers' managing partner and New Jersey Devils' managing partner, Josh Harris. In fact, I believe that there are people who believe that a deal is in place for Harris to buy the Commanders. Now, those people may be wrong, but I do think that there are people who think that. Uh, By the way, the Washington Post in its report this past Friday night did say that, quote, leading bidders for the team attempted to complete a deal with Snyder ahead of this weekend's league meeting, end quote. So that may well have been what J.P. Finley and Rick Snyder were tweeting about on March 18th, an attempt to by Josh Harris to complete a deal with the Danny to buy the commanders. But number three, and this may be the most significant item of all, nobody (laughs) knows anything, okay? And that's an overstatement, but this sale of the commanders is one of these instances in which people who normally are in the know aren't in the know as much as usual. Uh, This past Friday morning, while my two-year-old daughter was napping, I had a lengthy conversation with my friend, Commander's Insider Ben Standing of The Athletic. And we talked a lot about the sale of the Commanders and the reporting on the sale of the commanders. And I asked Ben if he thought that either Jason Wright or Ron Rivera knew what was going on. (laughs) And Ben said no. Now, of course, it's possible that Jason and Ron do know what's going on, but I would not at all be surprised if they don't. I think that a lot of people are in the dark on this. Never forget who we are dealing with here. Dan Snyder, unpredictable, temperamental, logical Dan Snyder. He, during this entire process of the sale of the team, may have changed his mind a hundred times about a hundred things. In fact, do you want to hear something that I was told by someone? That Dan at one point told Ron that Dan wasn't selling majority ownership of the team. Wasn't doing it. Now, personally, I don't take that too seriously. I think that that probably was Dan being in the midst of being in uh, one of his moods. But the point is, you never know with this guy. And that's why until Dan has sold majority ownership of the team, until the team is sold, you can't be entirely sure that the team will be sold. But like I said, the prevailing belief is that Dan is selling majority ownership of the team. Uh, That, of course, cannot happen soon enough, but the sale is taking some time to happen. And the road to the sale happening isn't exactly uh, linear, okay? especially if you go by the reporting. The road is a lengthy and winding road with hills and speed bumps and potholes and construction delays. But, you know, as long as the road eventually takes us to where we want to go, that is what matters the most. A lot of conversation in recent days about whether our Wizards are better off losing games as opposed to winning games as the team's disappointing regular season comes to an end. Wizards television announcer Chris Miller of NBC Sports Washington, he, during the Wizards post-game show this past Friday night, spoke out rather strongly <laughs> against the Wizards being better off losing. Take a listen
2: and i'll say one more thing Mm. i don't understand this notion about losing on purpose i will never subscribe to that and i don't care how many more games are left i want wizards fans that are listening to me this is chris miller speaking You never subscribe to losing on purpose because if you've ever competed in your life, no one's ever wanted to lose a game on purpose and be like, hey, I'm looking forward to next year. No, you finish the season off, and if you make it into the play-in, great. If you make it into the playoffs, that's even better. But you don't come out here and lose games on purpose. I'm sorry. Okay, so that was Chris Miller this past Friday night.
1: But uh, David Aldridge, longtime NBA insider, now the editor-in-chief of The Athletic D.C., he in a piece that came out on Sunday argued for the Wizards being better off losing as their regular season comes to an end, tweeted David, quote, For the Wizards, a play-in berth this year would be pointless. They desperately need a dynamic talent that can inject life into the locker room and hope into the fan base. The best way to do that is getting as high in the lottery as possible. And quote, if you are a regular listener of this podcast, you know where I stand on this issue. I want the Wizards losing. I want them losing every game. The rest of this regular season. The Wizards are going nowhere. The idea that them making this Eastern Conference play-in tournament would be of any significant value is preposterous. You know, it would be one thing if the Wizards were a really young team on the rise. They're not. They are a veteran-laden team. And so what is in the best interest of the organization is it losing games as the regular season ends, getting in the NBA draft lottery with decent odds and hopefully seemingly for once having some good NBA draft lottery luck and then hopefully seemingly for once making a good pick in an NBA draft to where the team can get itself a true difference maker in the NBA draft. Well, if you agree with me and David Aldridge, uh, you were happy with what happened on Sunday evening. Two games for the Wizards over the weekend. Uh, Friday night, a win, uh, a 136-124 win over the San Antonio Spurs at Capital One Arena. But I tell you, well, this game was a win. This win in so many ways captures the state of the Wizards. The win was just the Wizards' second win in nine games. And the win came over a Spurs team that is the second worst team in the Western Conference. And the Wizards' other win during this stretch was a 117 1997 win over the NBA worst Detroit Pistons at Capitol One Arena on March 14th. Then on Sunday evening, a 114 104 loss at the Toronto Raptors as the Wizards lost for the eighth time in 10 games and lost for the 10th time in 13 games. And the loss clinched the Wizards having a losing regular season record for a fifth consecutive season. Again, The Wizards are going nowhere. Uh, They now are 33 and 42 and are tied with the Indiana Pacers for 11th in the Eastern Conference, three and a half games behind the Chicago Bulls for 10th in the East. uh, Seeds 7 through 10 in each conference make its play in tournament for the NBA playoffs. Again, the Wizards are going nowhere. And it would appear that even the Wizards realize this. You know, The idea with the Wizards losing games as the regular season ends isn't for Wizards players to actively try to lose games, to throw games. The idea is, if you are Wizards management, uh, say resting players (laughs) who are injured but maybe possibly could play, especially key players. Well, looky-looky at what we had in this loss at the Raptors on Sunday evening. Bradley Beal did not play for a third consecutive game due to left knee soreness. Kyle Kuzma did not play for a fourth consecutive game due to a sprained right ankle. And Monte Morris did not play due to left groin soreness. Three wizard starters did not play on Sunday evening. Uh, that, my friends, is the sign of an NBA team just fine with losing. And that right now is the right way to go. Uh, the Wizards, in their loss at the Raptors on Sunday evening, never held a lead in the game, uh, got outscored in the paint 54-36, had 12 12- offensive rebounds to the Raptors 18 and thus just 11 second chance points to the Raptors 27. Uh, even the Wizards win over the Spurs at Capitol One Arena on Friday night was filled with problems the Wizards against this really bad Spurs team blew a 13point second quarter lead did win the fourth quarter 37-26 but the Wizards defense was really bad they allowed the Spurs to score 124 points to go 32-48 in the paint for 64 points in the paint and to finish with a staggering 35 assists versus 5 turnovers a 7 to 1 assist to turnover ratio. Uh, Chris Dabbs, Porzingis did have a good weekend. Uh, He and the win over the Spurs at Capital One Arena on Friday night in just 27 minutes, 44 seconds as a starter, had 23 points, nine rebounds, five assists versus one turnover and three blocks. He went two of three on threes, five of eight on twos and seven of seven on free throws. And then Porzingis in the loss At the Raptors on Sunday evening, 33 minutes, 56 seconds as a starter. He went 4-7 on threes, 5-10 on twos, 4-5 on free throws finished with 26 points, 6 rebounds, 2 steals, and 2 assists versus 3 turnovers. The Wizards over the weekend did get good production from first-round picks. It is not often that we've been able to say that, but we can say that here. Uh, Corey Kispert, who the Wizards took with the number 15 pick, in the 2021 NBA draft, he had some nice games over the weekend. Friday night, Kispert in 36 minutes, 17 seconds as a starter, six of nine on threes and three of five on twos. He finished with 26 points, five rebounds and two assists versus one turnover. The 26 points were an NBA regular season at career high and could have been more as he went just to two of five on free throws. Sunday evening, Kispert in 39 minutes, 55 seconds as a starter, five of 11 on threes and two of five on twos. He finished with 19 points and three rebounds, although he also had no assists versus four turnovers and a game-worst plus-minus rating of minus 23. But Denny Abdia, who the Wizards took with the number nine pick in the 2020 NBA draft, Friday night, 33 minutes, 32 seconds as a starter, 3 of 6 on threes, 6 of 8 on twos, 0 of 1 on free throws. He finished with 21 points, 11 rebounds, and 6 assists versus 2 turnovers. Sunday evening, Avdia in 34 minutes, 26 seconds as a starter. Went just 1 of 4 on threes and just 2 of 4 on free throws, but also 5 of 9 on twos. He finished with 15 points, 9 rebounds, including 3 offensive boards and seven assists versus three turnovers. And also on Sunday evening was a Johnny Davis sighting. Yes, Johnny Davis, who the Wizards took with the number 10 pick in the 2022 NBA draft and who has done next to nothing in his rookie season. Uh, Davis on Sunday evening, 29 minutes, 52 seconds off the bench, three of four on threes, two of four on twos. He did go just two of four on free throws, but he finished with 15 points, four rebounds and two assists versus one turn over. Understand Johnny Davis came into this game having gone one of 13 on threes. And this is NBA rookie regular season. Yes, one of 13 on threes the entire regular season until going three or four on threes. On Sunday evening. Uh, Also for the Wizards in their win over the Spurs at Capital One Arena on Friday night were two big performances off the bench. Delon Wright in 28 minutes 58 seconds off the bench, three of six on threes, six of eight on twos, three of three on free throws. He finished with 24 points, seven rebounds, three assists versus no turnovers, and a game best plus-minus rating of plus 26. And Jordan Goodwin, 30 minutes 34 seconds. Off the bench, just one of four on threes, but also five of seven on twos, four of five odd free throws. He finished with 17 points, five rebounds, five assists versus no turnovers and two steals. The Wizards have just seven regular season games left, seven more opportunities to lose. Uh, Next up, home to the second best team in the Eastern Conference, the Boston Celtics, Tuesday night at seven. Well, the Capitals making the Stanley Cup playoffs this season has felt unlikely for weeks now, especially off the Caps having been sellers prior to the NHL trade deadline on March 3rd. But the Caps had remained in postseason contention. Heck, they still are (laughs) in postseason contention. But the notion of them making the playoffs this season appears especially unlikely now because the Caps on Saturday night suffered the kind of loss that seems like a screaming sign of, yeah... They're not making the postseason this season. Uh, the Caps on Saturday night in maybe their biggest game of the season fell to thirty four, thirty two, and eight with a four three loss at the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, the Caps overcame a three nothing third period deficit, but then gave up an unassisted even strength goal to center Evgeny Malkin eighteen forty into the third period as. Malkin generated a neutral zone takeaway on Caps winger Anthony Mantha, and then on a one on none breakaway scored on a snapshot from the right circle. An absolutely terrible sequence right there. Uh, Malkin completely abused Mantha, who has not had a very good season. And the Caps, who to their credit did forge this great comeback with three third period goals, ended up losing in regulation. Didn't even get a point. Via the game going to overtime. Uh, the Caps now are just 12 19 and 2 since their 22 13 and 6 start. Uh, they have 76 points or six points behind the Penguins for the Eastern Conference's second and final wild card spot. And the Caps also are trailing the Florida Panthers and Buffalo Sabres in the Eastern Conference wild card standings. Uh, the Caps and Sabres are tied at 76 points, but the Sabres have played two fewer games this regular season. Than the Caps have, and the Caps have just eight games left in this regular season. This was Caps head coach Peter Laviolette during his post game session with reporters late night on Saturday night.
3: I think it's uh, guys we were probably all frustrated, you know, or um, they were opportunistic in some of the chances they had and got themselves a lead. Um, I thought the guys played hard and they scored two in the second period but I thought that maybe that was our best period and um, just trying to generate we had a lot of chances they they were able to capitalize we weren't able to capitalize and found ourselves down to nothing but um, you know this just the game spins quick out there you know and, and things turn around and they come back at you really quick. I thought we did a great job just staying focused and getting back into that game. And, um, it's frustrating to, to tie it up and then have it go the other way.
1: Yeah, time be running out for our Caps. Uh, the math is not in the Caps' favor. It really is looking like the Caps' eight-year streak of making the playoffs will end this season. Not since the 2013-2014 season uh, have the Caps Missed the playoffs. Uh, Darcy Kemper was the cap starting goaltender on Saturday night. He stopped just 36 of the 40 shots on goal that he faced. I mean, to me, it would have been nice for your franchise goaltender to have risen to the occasion in a game like this one and played a great game. But, you know, in fairness to Kemper, he was tested a bunch. Kemper, per natural stat trick, faced 15 high-danger shots on goal. He stopped 12 of them. And Peter Laviolette was complimentary of Kemper. Uh, this was Laviolette during his post-game session with reporters late night on Saturday night on Darcy Kemper. And then you'll hear a follow-up exchange.
3: I thought Kemp's played a really good game, he, especially after the start of the first period. There was a 10-minute stretch with the power plays where he looked like he was really on point. I thought he played a good game, but you know, too many, too many of those chances, and they're going to they're capitalize on some of them he was he was good today i mean the, the goals were big goals i mean it's a breakaway and partial two-on-one you know, we had simon simon's missed in the offensive zone and, um, but i thought that he played i thought he played a real good game pittsburgh dangerous team with dangerous players and gave us an opportunity to get back into it.
1: And the Caps did get back into it. Uh, the Caps on Saturday night went 3-4 of four on the penalty kill and 1-3 of three on the power play. The comeback was really good. Winger Alex Ovechkin, a third-period power play goal, four shots on goal, and a game-high 10 total shot attempts. He did commit a third-period slashing minor. Ovi has been committing a lot of penalties lately, but he now, over his last 13 games, has 10 goals and 8 assists. Uh, center Dylan Strome remains hot. He on Saturday night had a third period even strength goal, a third period secondary assist, and six shots on goal. And he finished number two on the caps in five on five shot attempt percentage for the game per natural stat trick at 64. The caps with Strom on the ice in five on five situations in the game had 16 shot attempts versus allowing nine shot attempts. Uh, Strom now, over his last 14 games, has six goals and 14 assists. Winger Tom Wilson on Saturday night had a third period even strength goal. And then <laughs> there is center Evgeny Kuznetsov, all Uh, So Evgeny Kuznetsov on Saturday night did have a third period primary assist and did go nine and three on faceoffs, but he also had no shots on goal and just one total shot attempt. This game, in a lot of ways, captures Evgeny Kuznetsov's 2022-2023 season. You know, Kuznetsov for this NHL regular season does have a team leading 41 assists, but he also is dead last on the Caps with a plus-minus rating of minus 19. He is having what feels like an empty statistical season for the Caps. And we on Saturday learned that he wants out. Uh, Match TV of Russia on Saturday reported that Evgeny Kuznetsov, via his agent, has requested to be traded. Uh, the request, per the report, isn't new as Kuznetsov has previously asked to be traded. Uh, Additionally, Caps insider Tarek El-Bashir of The Athletic, a friend of the Al Galdi podcast, uh, he in a mailbag column that came out this past Tuesday wrote that, quote, Caps decision makers are disappointed in Kuznetsov's season, end quote, and that, quote, trust is broken, end quote, between the Caps and Kuznetsov. Uh, The Caps, in July 2017, re-signed Evgeny Kuznetsov to an eight-year, $62.4 million contract. We all know the deal with Kuzi. He is immensely talented. He, at times, has been extremely productive. But he also has been an inconsistent player. And there have been off-ice issues with old Kuzi. See his uh, cocaine controversy of August and September 2019. The idea with the Caps has been that they're not rebuilding, they're just retooling. Uh, Part of that approach was the understanding that the team still would have if Genny Kuznetsov. But if he's going to be traded this offseason, boy, you are starting to veer into that territory of rebuilding, which I know that the team does not want to do, especially... With Alex Ovechkin still going strong and chasing Wayne Gretzky's record for most career NHL regular season goals. I don't think that the Caps have to rebuild. I do think that a retool can work and is appropriate for this circumstance. You know, the Caps, even in this disappointing season, still are not that far from making the Stanley Cup playoffs. And in the NHL, all that you have to do to be a Stanley Cup contender is make the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, Remember, too, that the Caps this season have been bludgeoned by injury, and so if the Caps next season just enjoy a little bit better injury luck, they may well be right back in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Oh, by the way, another key Cap now was injured. Uh, Forward Sonny Milano did not play on Saturday night. This due to an upper body injury that he suffered in the Caps' 6-1 win over the Chicago Blackhawks at Capital One Arena this past Thursday night, and the Caps also remained without forwards Connor Brown and Carl Haglund, due to injury. But, you know, this Sevgeny Kuznetsov thing does change the calculus at least a little bit on the retool. This is only Kuznetsov's age 30 season, but he may be playing his final games for the Caps. Uh, next up for the Caps, home to the Eastern Conference Wild Card leading New York Islanders, Wednesday night at 730. Well, the Major League Baseball regular season begins this week. Uh, Opening day is Thursday. The Nationals have one exhibition game left. It is a game at Nationals Park. Nats versus the New York Yankees at Nationals Park Tuesday afternoon at 12.05. The Nats will begin their 2023 regular season with a three-game series against the Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park. Game one Thursday afternoon at one oh five, And Patrick Corbin will be the Nats starting pitcher. Yes, the Nats are going with Patrick Corbin as their opening game starter for a second consecutive season, despite him having been horrendous (laughs) over the last two seasons and bad over the last three seasons. Uh, It had been anticipated slash feared that the Nats were going to go with Corbin to begin the regular season, and sure enough, we got the official word on Friday. Uh, The Nats going with Patrick Corbin as their opening game starter is about as big of an indictment of the state of the Nats from a starting pitching standpoint As anything, Uh, no aspect of the Nats has cratered more from their 2019 World Series championship season to their rebuilding state now than the starting pitching. And Patrick Corbin being the team's opening game starter for a second consecutive season perfectly captures this. Uh, Corbin in the 2020 regular season, over 11 starts and 65 and two-thirds innings, had an ERA of 4.66 and gave up a major league worst 85 hits. The 2020 season was the beginning of the decline, but he has gotten worse each season. Corbin, for the 2021 regular season, had an ERA of 582, which was the worst ERA among qualified pitchers in the majors. And he had this 582 ERA, despite pitching well in four of his five starts in September 2021 and Corbin for the 2021 regular season had a whip of 147, which was the second worst whip among qualified pitchers in the majors. And then Corbin for the 2022 regular season had an ERA of 631 and a whip of 170. Those stats would have been the worst among qualified pitchers in the majors, but Corbin didn't qualify because he threw too few innings, even though He made 31 starts and gave up a major league worst 107 earned runs and a major league worst 210 hits. I'm not exaggerating when I say this. Patrick Corbin quantifiably has been the worst pitcher in the majors over the last two seasons. That is a factual statement. That's not me giving an opinion. That's not me being mean. That is a fact-based statement. And that he <laughs> has been named the Nats opening game starter for a second consecutive season tells you all that you need to know about the state of the Nats starting pitching. Uh, now, look, Patrick Corbin being the Nats opening game starter isn't like some crime against humanity. OK, the Nats are a rebuilding team. They seem very likely Uh, to have another 90-loss season, if not another 100-loss season this season. Who the Nats' opening game starter is really isn't that big of a deal. And as we'll discuss next segment with the Orioles, uh, they're going with Kyle Gibson as their opening game starter. And Gibson, like Corbin, is coming off a bad 2022 season, although there are some caveats to Gibson's 2022 season. But personally, I would have gone with Josiah Gray As the Nats opening game starter, he has had a great exhibition season. Josiah Gray on Sunday afternoon put a capper on his exhibition season. He finished it with five starts, 16 in the third innings, and an ERA of 0.55 and zero home runs allowed. But look, Gray is coming off a bad season, and he over his two regular seasons with the Nats, 2021 and 2022. 40 starts, ERA of 5'11", has given up a whopping 53 home runs in 211 and a third innings. You're not exactly choosing between, you know, Walter Johnson and Cy Young in uh, choosing between Patrick Corbin and Josiah Gray, for the Nats' opening game starter duties. But at least Josiah Gray is young and has promise and hasn't been the worst pitcher in the majors over the last two seasons. Uh, The Nats' thinking and going with Corbin as their opening game starter is that he is a veteran and that he won't be overwhelmed by the moment and that he has had a decent spring training. I mean, whatever, man. Okay, And look, I'm rooting for Patrick Corbin. He was a very valuable player for the Nats in their 2019 World Series championship season, what was his first season of uh, being signed by the Nats to a six-year, $140 million free agent contract in December 2018. He has been very durable. I do give him credit for that. He does take the ball every fifth game and make his start, uh, even though uh, the majority of his starts over these last Three seasons have not gone well. But, you know, one of the more disturbing aspects of the Nats these last few seasons has been not just the team losing, but with whom the team has been losing. A lot of older players, a lot of road-to-nowhere type players. It's one thing if you're losing with young players, you know, potential building blocks. It's another thing when you're losing with older players, road-to-nowhere type players. I mean, think last season. Second baseman, Cesar Hernandez and D.H. Nelson Cruz. Those two guys in the 2022 regular season were first and third respectively on the Nats in plate appearances despite each guy being really bad last season. Why were the Nats giving so much playing time to two veteran players who were having really bad years and were certain to be gone from the Nats after last season? And of course, sure enough, those guys now are gone from the Nats. Think about this too. You know, the Nats over the last few years have had this like fixation with bringing back aging players who were on that 2019 World Series championship team. For example, first baseman Matt Adams, big city Matt Adams, 20 home runs for the Nats in the 2019 regular season. He, for some reason, was a participant in 2023 That spring training, despite having been awful the last few seasons and not even playing in a single major league regular season game last season, Matt Adams spent his 2022 season playing for the Kansas City Monarchs of the American Association, which is an independent league. Well, we on Saturday afternoon found out that uh, Big cities not making the Nats regular season opening major league roster. No big surprise with Big City. But why the Nats were futzing around with Matt Adams this spring training, I don't know. I mean, I get that the Nats just need guys, need bodies to play out these rebuilding seasons, but there's something to be said for fully embracing what you are. The Nats are a rebuilding team that needs to be going with as much youth and promise as possible. Bringing back Matt Adams is in direct contrast to that mission. And going with Patrick Corbin as the opening game starter for a second consecutive year off back-to-back atrocious seasons is in direct contrast to the mission. But I do readily admit when your options for opening game starter are two guys who, for the previous regular season, had ERAs over five, uh, you know you've got bigger problems than who should be your opening game starter. Uh, the Nats on Saturday afternoon did make a bunch of cuts. Uh, infielder Jeter Downs and one of my favorites, pitcher Paulo Espino, were optioned to Triple A Rochester, and relievers Alex Colome, Andres Machado, and Willie Peralta were reassigned to minor league camp. And so the Nats' regular season opening bullpen may well be as follows: Kyle Finnegan, Carl Edwards Jr., Hunter Harvey, Orasmo Ramirez, Thaddeus Ward, Mason Thompson, Anthony Banda, and Hobie Harris, a non-roster invitee who has had a very good spring training. There still could be some tinkering with that bullpen mix, but as things stand now, it would appear that that will be your regular season opening bullpen for the Nats. And uh, with the state of the Nats starting pitching, uh, we're probably going to be seeing a whole lot of these relievers this season. As for the Orioles, uh, they have just one exhibition game left. A home spring training game against the St. Louis Cardinals in Sarasota, Florida, Monday afternoon at 105. Uh, the O's will begin their regular season with a three-game series at the Boston Red Sox. Game one this Thursday afternoon at 210. We on Friday officially learned of the Orioles' first two starting pitchers for the regular season. Game one, Kyle Gibson. Game two, Dean Kramer. Now, Gibson then got shellacked in a 7-6 home spring training game win over the New York Yankees in Sarasota on Friday evening. Six runs in four and two-thirds innings. He gave up 11 hits, including two three-run homers. Also issued a walk, had just two strikeouts. He did suffer a cut thumb, but he did say that the cut thumb did not affect him. I would not put too much stock in Gibson struggling like he did on Friday evening, but you would have liked for him To have pitched better, Uh, Kyle Gibson was the Orioles' biggest acquisition in a 2022-2023 offseason in which they ended up not doing much, uh, despite expectations and indications that the team would be doing at least a decent amount. Uh, It's not necessarily a bad thing that the O's didn't do more in the offseason, but them not doing more is notable given what we all thought going into the offseason. The O's on December 5th announced that they had agreed with free agent starting pitcher Kyle Gibson on a one-year contract. He is an older pitcher. Uh, He's entering his age 35 season, but he has been very durable, and he has done some good things over the last two seasons. Gibson, on July 30th, 2021, was traded by the Texas Rangers to the Philadelphia Phillies. Gibson, in the 2021 regular season, was outstanding for the Rangers. 113 innings, 19 starts, ERA of two eighty seven. ERA plus of 154. Gibson, over the 2021 and 2022 regular seasons with the Phillies, did have an ERA of 506. Uh, that obviously is quite bad, but his fielding independent pitching, his FIP, was 4.21. FIP is an ERA-like number that accounts for that which a pitcher truly controls, home runs allowed, walks allowed, hit by pitches allowed, and strikeouts. The Phillies over these two seasons were horrible defensively. The Phillies for the 2021 regular season ranked dead last in the majors in defensive runs saved at minus 54. The Phillies for the 2022 regular season ranked number 25 out of 30 major league teams in defensive runs saved at minus minus. 33. For comparison's sake, the O's for the 2022 regular season ranked tied for number nine in the majors in defensive runs saved at plus 36. So the idea is that, hey, Kyle Gibson is a guy whose more traditional numbers could improve greatly just by pitching in front of a better defense, and the O's do have a good defense. Uh, We are awaiting official word on who will make up The other three spots in the Orioles rotation. Uh, The expectation is that those three spots will be comprised of Grayson Rodriguez, Kyle Bradish, and Cole Irvin. Uh, Rodriguez, per MLB Pipeline, is the number seven prospect in baseball and the number two pitching prospect in baseball. What the O's do with two other pitchers, D.L. Hall and Tyler Wells, will be interesting. A Hall per MLB pipeline is the number 97 prospect in baseball. The O's on Sunday afternoon did option him to minor league camp. He late last season was used as a reliever at the major league level. His long-term future, though, is as a starter, but he is still being stretched out. Wells last season did a nice job in making the transition from reliever to starter. The O's have like an abundance of legitimate, viable, promising starting pitching options. I haven't even mentioned Austin Voth and Spencer Watkins, uh, although Watkins on Sunday afternoon was optioned to minor league camp. There is a lot of excitement for this Orioles season off their big step forward season last year. No guarantees, obviously, and the O's still play in the brutal American League East. But for the first time in years, you're not wrong to expect the O's to be in playoff contention, which they ended up being in, last season. And a major reason to think that the O's should be in playoff contention this season is the team starting pitching. And we have not been able to say anything like that for quite some time, but we can say that now. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at AlGaldi. You can email me, the Al Galdi Podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday show, episode 537. We'll have plenty for you on the Commanders, as we shall see what goes down on Monday, what is day two of the NFL's annual league meeting, which is taking place in Phoenix, Arizona. Have a great rest of your Monday, and
2: I'll talk to you on Tuesday. I don't understand this notion about losing on purpose, I will never subscribe to that and I don't care how many more games are left, I want Wizards fans that are listening to me, this is Chris Miller speaking, you never subscribe to losing on purpose.